0: Another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Founded in 1987, the National Museum of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C., is one of a kind, dedicated exclusively to recognizing, promoting, and exhibiting the creative contributions of female artists. NMWA not only champions women artists and encourages other institutions to do the same, it also directly addresses the gender imbalance in presenting art worldwide. My guest today is Susan Fisher Sterling, the museum's director. She's been with the National Museum of Women in the Art since 1988, when she was hired as an associate curator and had just graduated from Princeton University with an M.A., Ph.D. in art history, specializing in modern and contemporary art. In 2008, she was named director. In advance of the museum's 30th anniversary in 2017 2018, Susan is working on a new initiative Women, Arts, and Social Change. Susan is a recipient of numerous honors, including the National Orders of Merit from Brazil and Norway, the President's Award of the Women's Caucus for Art, and in 2011, she was recognized as one of Art Table's 30 Most Influential Professional Women in the Visual Arts. So, Susan, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much
1: for having me, Sandy.
0: Did your interest, your passion, your connection to art begin at a young age? Like
1: most uh, great people in their fields, mine did begin very young. I um, was born in Cleveland and had the advantage of going to uh kids' classes on Saturdays at the Cleveland Museum of Art. And they were classes which were for actually watercolor or oil painting or sketching in the galleries. And it was a way, frankly, for my mother to have some free time to take care of my other sisters uh, while I was away um, having fun with art at the museum. And that is where my passion began.
0: But as you got older, were you inspired to create art or, quote, appreciate art? Well, I think I was inspired to do both.
1: I certainly took fine arts classes, uh, uh, practical arts classes in high school, but I also, through a special program, was able to do research uh, in my senior year at the Cleveland Museum of Art. My first research project was a very boring collection of faience and pottery uh, from France. But I got my foot into the door at the museum. And that was one of those kinds of experiences that shifted my interest uh, more toward art history and away from the fine arts, which frankly, I I wasn't a good enough artist anyway. So uh, the switch was really perfect for me.
0: So where did you go to undergraduate school?
1: I was an undergraduate at Washington University in St. Louis. Oh, my gosh. Both of my sons graduated from there. <laughs> uh, well, and, I have, and I have a child there now. Uh, But she's actually studying environmental biology. Uh, But for me, uh, being at Washington University was great because, again, a great Midwestern city with a fantastic museum and an interesting art scene and also a department that was very nurturing for my work in uh, both contemporary art as well as historical. And then also I was very interested in architecture at that time. And WashU had a great architecture school.
0: And so then, for you, the next natural step was heading to New Jersey to go to Princeton. It was
1: because I knew I wanted to become an art
0: historian, and uh, to matriculate
1: to a university that would allow me to have a combined M.A. Ph.D. was was a great a great moment for me.
0: And also, I have to assume your proximity to New York City was a big draw as well.
1: It was my first. Professor Sam Hunter had been very involved in the New York art scene for a long time. In fact, he was one of the early commissioners uh, for the U.S. for the Venice Biennale. Uh, He introduced um, important uh, contemporary artists to audiences through his exhibitions. And I thought
0: he was a great
1: person to study with.
0: So after you spent your time at Princeton, you get your first job, correct, after you graduate? Graduating from a PhD program uh, means that you complete a
1: dissertation, right? and it does take a while to do that. And while I was completing that dissertation along with getting uh, certain kinds of grants, I also taught at uh, Princeton and then at Swarthmore. And it was about that time that I began to realize that I was getting very far away from the work of art itself, And I did, as a Hirshhorn fellow at the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden here in Washington, I had a fellowship. And I realized while I was under that fellowship that it was time uh, to really decide, was I going to become an academic or was I going to become a curator? And I went the route of curator so as to be closer to the art object.
0: A year after its founding, you get connected to the National Museum of Women in the Arts. Did you feel that that was a natural fit? I felt it was an opportunity. Uh huh.
1: I also felt strangely unqualified for the position, <laughs> partly because I was originally uh, working uh, more in the academic realm. But also because in my classes in graduate school, uh, there was very little emphasis on women
0: artists. What a surprise, Susan. Yes. In
1: fact, one day I was we were studying the uh, abstract expressionists. And I asked a question because I had just seen an exhibition of uh, Joan Mitchell. And I knew about Helen Frankenthaler. Um, and I'd seen this Mitchell show in New York. And I made the comment, well, could we look at the art of Joan Mitchell and Frankenthaler also? And my professor said to me in the most uh, innocent way, oh, yes, that would be great. We'll use them as comparative material. And I have used that line because occasionally here at the Women's Museum, we don't do show art by men. I use the line comparative material all the time. (laughs)
0: When you think about it, I mean, certainly there are certain women who obviously stand out, Georgia O'Keeffe, Mary Cassatt, but the list really is endless, except for the fact that so many people don't know it. Well, and the line that my founder uh, has
1: used, Mrs. Holliday, has used for many years is, can you name five women artists? It's not so easy, even today. But at the time when I began, um, I had been in Washington as a fellow at the Smithsonian at the Hirshhorn. And I had an opportunity to come see the museum when it opened. And I knew hardly any of the names of the artists who were on the walls. And I felt that there was something obviously that was missing in my education that needed to be addressed. So I spent time uh, as I was finishing up my degree, uh, really taking a look at Uh, what had been done on women artists to date. And then I decided when uh, the museum decided that they wanted curators, I I put my hat in the ring.
0: So what exactly was your first series of responsibilities as associate curator?
1: Well, the first day when I walked in, um, I was told to bring a pair of jeans, which I did. Mm -hmm. Because my first responsibility when I came in the door was to unpack crates with the art of Camille Claudel that were in the crates, this wonderful sculptor, late 19th century, early 20th century sculptor who was uh, apprentice to Rodin, who became Rodin's mistress, who at one point in her Future was actually incarcerated by her brother, uh, (laughs) uh, Paul Claudel, because she was thought to be uh, crazy. And women often who were talented were put away in uh, asylums uh, for things like hysteria. But that was my first job was to help the registrar at the museum take these uh, works of art, these beautiful sculptures by Camille Claudel out of the crates and help to put them on display in the museum. Yeah, not exactly the first thing most associate curators do when they come into a museum.
0: I would like you to talk about the genesis of the National Museum of Women in the Arts. Who started it? Why was it started? And do I ask the question, what took so long? What took
1: so long is really an interesting uh, question. In terms of the beginnings of the museum, our founders are Wallace Fitzhugh Holliday and Wilhelmina Cole Holliday. Mr. Holliday is deceased, but Mrs. Holliday is still here with us uh, and we will be celebrating our 30th anniversary uh, next year. The two of them became collectors of art and they had a friend uh, named Richard Brown Baker who was a great collector of pop art and uh, contemporary art in the 60s and 70s. And he told the Holidays that if they really wanted to get the most out of their collecting, they should have a focus for their collection. They took that idea to heart and they were going through the Kunsthistorisches Museum in Vienna and then the Prado in Madrid. And they saw an artist named Clara Peters. T-E-E-T-E-R-S, a Flemish artist uh, uh, of the 17th century. And they were really taken with her uh, still life paintings, but they knew nothing about her. And they came back to the States and they wanted to look something up about her, and perhaps they wanted to purchase a work. And when they returned, they found that there not only was there no information on Clara Peters available in Jansen's History of Art or Helen Gardner's Art. Through the ages, the major textbooks that we use in our country or used in our country on artists and art history, uh, they actually found that no women artists were in either of those books and that indeed the, the science, if you will, the study of uh, women artists was really a very, very new. And what year was this? This would have been in the early 70s, or early to mid 70s. Okay. And so um, what really is beginning to happen is you have uh, the feminist art movement with uh, progenitors, uh, everyone from uh, Judy Chicago and Miriam Shapiro Mm -hmm. to people like uh, Martha Rossler and others in New York, um, West Coast, East Coast. And then you have um, art historians uh, the first wave of art historians who are really beginning to resuscitate uh, women artists, and that would be um, art historians like Linda Nauchlin, um or Eleanor Tufts. And interestingly, it was Eleanor Tufts uh, and Alessandra Comini who first helped uh, Mrs. Holiday create the first exhibition here at the museum when it was founded, But that gets a little bit ahead of the story. The truth is, is that the holidays began collecting work by women artists. It was affordable. It was an interesting, uh, as Richard Brown Baker had said, it was an interesting way to collect. And Mrs. Holiday had, had been on the board of the Corcoran Gallery of Art and had also served as a docent at the National Gallery. And once they amassed about 500 works, the Holidays really talked seriously uh, with the National Gallery and and others about giving their collection. There was no thought about a museum. But some unwitting curator was asked by the Holidays, how many works of our collection would be on view at any given time? The poor, hapless curator said, oh, we would show a few. (laughs) sort of comparative material once again. And uh, the holidays really said, well, thank you so much for being so clear. <laughs> <laughs> and they decided at that point, having spoken with and been friendly with Nancy Hanks, the first head of the National Endowment for the Arts, um, they had decided that they that maybe they needed to think about seriously about beginning a museum. But that was not Mr. or Mrs. Holiday's att- uh, intention originally. But Mrs. Holliday had been very active in a variety of organizations where she had taken on leadership roles, and this became her cause. She decided that she would create a museum of women in the arts, and she began by appealing to many different types of what I would call engaged advocates, women who were not necessarily feminists as well as feminists. Um, And there was a lot of controversy when the museum first began because on the right side, you had women who thought that the museum was going to be too much of a feminist organization. And on the left side, you had feminists who felt it was going to be too white gloves too patrician. So Mrs. Holliday very smartly uh, created a middle path, decided that all were welcome, and that indeed if we really were going to do the right thing Uh, because other museums weren't showing women artists that the right thing was to create a place of honor for women artists. And that's what she did with the help
0: of over 60,000 people, including members at the beginning. 60,000 people. Wow. I mean, little did she know, but at the same time, what a visionary. Oh, completely. And um,
1: the idea that she could actually move through what would be called traditional means, the traditional system of corporate and foundation, individual support, that she could muster that kind of support is really part of her genius, because it really wasn't something that was on the mind of feminist art historians or other museum builders even at that time. In addition to the Women's Museum, which was founded in or was opened in eighty seven. You have the collection of the Manils, Dominique de Manil and her husband that is opening in Houston. You have the Terra Museum of American Art that which is opening in uh, Chicago. And you have this generation of very wealthy collectors who decide to create museums. But in her case, it was not a monument to herself and was not named for her or her husband. It was named the National Museum of Women in the Arts because it was for the nation, so as to be able to for people to learn about women artists. But we also had a unique set of national committees we were starting that would allow the vision of the museum uh, to proliferate beyond the walls through committees that would do grassroots work on behalf of recognition for women artists in their own towns, their own cities, their own states.
0: All things considered, was this a long time in the making when she first got the idea, or did things move relatively quickly?
1: Considering the way For example, government works. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It moved extremely quickly. So you think of the 70s collecting art. By 1981, the museum was already incorporated. Uh, By 1985, our current building had been identified by Mr. Holiday and was available to be purchased, and it was purchased and then renovated over a period of years till 87 when it was opened. So we're talking about something that is roughly oh, I'd say maybe 15, 20 years at the max. And that for a museum to have created a collection and then created a museum is really fast timing.
0: If you're just joining us, my guest today is Susan Fisher Sterling, director of the National Museum of Women in the Arts. So I'm slightly embarrassed to say that I was not familiar with this museum why? Interestingly, I think
1: that in some ways, uh, museums that are outside of the New York sphere are not really recognized because New York tends to still consider itself the epicenter for art. I also believe that for the first 25 years, we really spent a lot of our time uh, building the museum from within. We had 500 works when the museum first began in uh, 1987. We now have over 4,500 works of art. And your permanent collection? In the collection. We began with a small number of committees in states outside of the East Coast, Uh, primarily, for example, the first committees began in Arkansas and in Texas. Uh, And many committees have followed suit, but they don't. We are just starting a New York committee for the museum now, there were, I think, real moments of struggle in making sure that the museum could remain solvent. There was no money for advertising, in fact, until quite recently. And I believe that one of the reasons you know about us now is because we're, we've come of age and we're really pushing ourselves, our project, and the museum's name out there. And right now we have a major grant uh, from uh, a wonderful woman in New York named Mildred Weissman who has given us funding to really bring our brand out into the public sphere. I think that's what's great for us for the 30th anniversary.
0: I want you to address this issue of gender imbalance in presenting art worldwide. That's clearly one of your missions.
1: We really see ourselves as uh, championing women in the arts. And the idea is we are also these days championing women through the arts. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that women artists are incredibly um, important to the discussion about the arts today. And if we can show the contributions of women to the history of art, and we can show the excellence of uh, women artists working today, then in many ways we foreground and move forward um, women's equality overall. Because in our specific segment, we're doing our part. The issue of gender equality in the art world uh, has been with us since uh, the 70s when women began to protest in front of the Museum of Modern Art, or the guerrilla girls in the mid to late 70s began their broadside campaigns about the lack of representation of uh, women uh, artists in museums and galleries. but. These days, almost in a, what I call a 25-year a, a cycle, the issue of gender equality in the art world is bubbling up more and more frequently and uh, receiving increased traditional and so- social media coverage. I think it's great news that there's more dialogue. And there are a number of m- many more um, museums and galleries that are real proponents. Uh, for uh, women artists. So I see us being right now in a moment of great change where women are gaining ground. The question is how much ground and uh, will this continue? And I think we still have a long road ahead of us before we can reach that goal of gender parity. That said, there are a number of institutions in addition to the National Museum of Women in the Arts who are doing that kind of work. In New York, you have the Sackler Center uh, for Feminist Art at the Brooklyn Museum. You have folks like uh, uh, the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles. Uh, The New Museum in New York is doing uh, great work. And then abroad, you have um, collections like uh, or uh, institutions like the Tate, Frances Morris is the new head of the Tate Modern, and her agenda is to have equal representation for women and men in exhibitions. And you have folks like Ivona Blaswick at Whitechapel Gallery, less so in other places, though. And so the goal in that I see happening is we have to get beyond the 6% uh, woman figure that's in museums today. Wait, Some, hold
0: on, hold on, hold on. 6% yep of art in national museums in this country is created by women? Correct. As opposed to 94% that's male? Yeah, we're not talking about even
1: historical art. If you look at contemporary art in most uh, museums, uh, you will find that the range is from 2% up to at most 14%. There are these notable exceptions of museums that I've mentioned so far and others that have programming that really does emphasize women. But most collections, go count yourself. Uh, you can really uh, find in the contem- even in the contemporary sections of museums that very few women are represented even today.
0: And that's a shocker. It sure is. Yeah. So describe some of the exhibitions the Museum of Women in the Arts has had.
1: I have to say the beauty of being part of the museum almost since inception is that I have many, many favorites. And in the 30 years, I think what we've tried to do is we've tried to take chances. We've looked at historical work from a very different lens, um, oftentimes embedding the artist within the history of their life and times, if you will. And so shows like um, an imperial collection, uh, Treasures from the State Hermitage Museum Mm -hmm. was one of the standouts where we worked with uh, Dr. Mikhail Piotrowski and his curators to create an exhibition that showed how Catherine the Great actually started um, the phenomenon of collecting, uh, women artists in some ways in her country. Um, and when we did that show, we paid a fee to the Hermitage and, um, the fee helped create the possibility to have a lot of works in the collection that were by women to have those collections restored.
0: Wow.
1: Now, what was great about that was that when the works came here, Dr. Piotrowski, uh, saw the works on the wall works that had pri- primarily been up in the attic and were flaking off their canvases. And he came here and he saw them restored and he said, are these works really from the Hermitage?
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: Because he'd never seen them <laughs> Yeah, they
0: were unrecognizable, yeah, because he was unfamiliar with them. Wow.
1: But then on the way back, uh, he created for one particular artist named Christina Robertson, the works that she had done, Portraits of the Royal Family, he created a specific sal, a specific salon uh, for those works. And so they're on view all the time now at the Amritage. Whereas before that, they'd been up in an attic with the pigeons. Wow. So these are the kinds of things that you can do to influence the way in which other museums work, whether it's our exhibition of Italian women artists or works that we had from the Louvre and Versailles and other French national collections called Royalists to Romantics, which was all French 18th and 19th century women artists. And in the process of that, what you do is you really do lift these artists up as exceptions in their, in their times. They were really amazing women who could beat the system and become artists, despite the fact that that was not necessarily the most honorable thing to do, uh, nor were women really allowed to work in the public sphere very often in that way.
0: I would assume that National Museum of Women in the Arts does a lot of outreach and education, correct?
1: We do. And with all of our shows, especially with our contemporary exhibitions, we do a lot with artist talks where people come in, artists like uh, Carrie Mae Weems. We have also our Women, Arts and Social Change Initiative, which is a public uh, programs initiative. And what we do with that program in particular, which is a new project, is for many years, um, the arts have been thought of as separate from social action or social change. And when women and the arts are talked about, you don't talk hear a lot about social change. When the arts and social change are discussed, women are generally left out. And when women and social change are talked about, the arts is left out. So we're trying to work like with a Venn diagram in a sweet spot where we connect artists and their innovations in different arenas, in different disciplines, with social change agents who are maybe in business or who have foundations, or who work with government. So women artists do really interesting, innovative work because they're not NGOs, and they're not tied, perhaps, to uh, some of the rigors of corporate and government life. So we try to show that these women really are making a difference as well and could be good models for other types of disciplines.
0: Well, at the risk of embarrassing you, we also have to say hats off to women like you who are making such change and who are taking the reins and doing such wonderful work.
1: Well, thank you very much, but I think we still have a far way to go. A few years ago, a gallerist at Art Basel felt free to say to me, uh, and to others, I curate what I like, and I just like art by men better. What a jerk. So we still feel that we have a way to go. But You're still really, going up the mountain there. Yeah, we don't mind keeping the distinction of being the one and only museum uh, that celebrates the creative contributions of women in the arts, that that's our sole objective. We're the only museum that does that. But I think that even if... Every museum were to come to 50-50, we'd always have new and innovative ways here at the Women's Museum to champion women through the arts. And that's just the truth of it. Just like MoMA still has ways of talking about modern art, we will always be able to show you a diverse array of artists that should be exposed to the public and get the recognition they deserve.
0: We've run out of time, but what a great way to end Susan, thank you to you and your staff for all you do and for the exposure and the education and the empowerment. It really swells the heart. Oh, and thank
1: you for collecting women artists and for including me on your program, Sandy. It's been a pleasure.
0: And thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for uh, getting the word out about us. That's really important to us. Thank you.
0: Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women, and please go to our iTunes store page and leave a rating and a review. And if you know anyone you think that we should interview, contact us at SandyKleinShow.com.